Well, hello, church. I'm so pleased you're with us today in our worship service. I want to first of all salute all of the folks in our church that have been part of the armed services on this Memorial Day weekend. We owe you an incredible debt of gratitude, something that we could never repay, to know that we live in a country that gives us the freedom that we have here to express ourselves and really to worship, uh, really because of the Constitution and the work of men in our armed forces who fought against the perils of evil. We salute you and we will pray for you today as well. And so let's go before the Lord and ask him to be in our service. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you that you have protected and preserved our church. I thank you that you have been with us, especially so during this stressful time and the virus. And now, Lord, we ask you that you continue to bless our congregation, especially so, Father, as we celebrate Memorial Day and salute all those members of the armed services who committed their lives to protect this country. Lord, be with these men and women. Protect them in every possible way as we remember their sacrifices. And now, Lord, I ask you that the message that I have today be the message you gave us through the Holy Spirit as we give all of these requests to the throne of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. And so this is uh, part two of our three-part series of Understanding the Holy Spirit. And today we're going to hear really the words of Jesus as Jesus drills down and teaches the apostles about the Holy Spirit. And they will hear about the Holy Spirit from the, for the very first time from the, from the very mouth of our Lord and Savior. And so these words are important. It's principally found in John chapter 16, where effectively the entire chapter is devoted to the Holy Spirit. And so uh, when you get a chance this week, go back and read John chapter 6. And so what's happening here is, according to Jesus, is that God is sending the Holy Spirit upon the departure of our Lord and Savior. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would not come until he departed from this world. And you can see that if you would turn to John chapter 16, verse 7. And there it says, But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. There it is. Jesus begins to tell about the Holy Spirit, and he will give him a number of names. Here we will call him the counselor. He will also call him the comforter. He will call him the person who will bring all truth. You will hear Jesus mention the Holy Spirit in a number of titles, and that's because the role of the Holy Spirit is quite expansive, and in every way it's about Jesus, about teaching who Jesus is. And so he would not come to this world until Jesus left this world. And effectively, that is the case. 50 days after Jesus will be crucified, the Holy Spirit will descend on this world uh, in, uh, on the day of Pentecost. And we will talk about that. And so Jesus is teaching the apostles about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will minister to the, to the apostles and he will minister to the entire world at the same time. And the purpose will be that the Holy Spirit will oppose evil. It will oppose those forces who undermine Jesus Christ, who those forces who lift up Satan. That's what the role of the Holy Spirit is to promote the teaching of Jesus and to convict man of darkness, of evil, 
to let man know that what's in his heart is terrible, that he cannot remain as to where he is, that no matter what he does, he will fail before God, and that everything that he needs is contained through coming to Jesus Christ. And so the reality is, the reality of the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin. And Jesus explains this as well in John 16, in verse 9, about the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. We'll start with verse 8. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. Men do not believe in Jesus Christ. That is the primary sin that the Holy Spirit has come to convict. And I know that humanity does not believe that uh, unbelief in Jesus Christ is a sin, but I can tell you that from everything that I study, unbelief in Jesus Christ is a principal sin before the throne of God. And that's why the Holy Spirit came to this world, so that this world would be convicted of Jesus Christ, be convicted of sin and evil, and be convicted of the righteousness necessary through Jesus Christ. Effectively, the Holy Spirit is really like a prosecutor. First, he secures a verdict of guilty to the entire world. That's through conviction, understanding what evil is. And he does that just the way a first-rate prosecutor would do. But at the same time, he disturbs the consciousness of humanity, meaning that they now can no longer dwell on their evil and be self-satisfied with their position. Instead, they begin to be uncomfortable in recognizing that they are far outside of the will of God. And so now as a result of this, Jesus says he will come when I leave. And so when you see this, the principal aspect of the Holy Spirit coming to this world is found in Acts chapter 2. And if you have your Bibles, Let's turn to Acts chapter 2 as we see the Holy Spirit descending on the church. And he descends in the upper room, which is right in the middle of Jerusalem, right off the main streets of Jerusalem. I had the privilege of being in the very location of that upper room. It's not the same upper room, but it's in the location where they believe it was, right off the streets. And so you have to understand these are narrow streets in the main city of Jerusalem, and they contain thousands of people on this day. 50 days after the day that Jesus was crucified, as this 120 people of the church of Jesus Christ gathered in prayer, waiting for the, for the receipt of the Holy Spirit. And so Acts chapter 2, let's read a few verses. Verse 1, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. That's important. Each one heard them speaking in his own language. And they were hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ being preached to themselves. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Amalites, residents of Mesopotamia and Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, 
Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the ports of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues, amazed and perplexed. They ask one another, what does this mean? And so what an amazing beginning for the Holy Spirit as it descends on this earth and it touches the hearts of the first church. 120 people now incorporated into the body of Jesus Christ, becoming the first residents really of the Holy Spirit in this world. And now the world will never be the same because imagine what it was like to be a, a person, a Jew in Jerusalem celebrating this, the symbol of Pentecost, that festival, and hearing the gospel preached of Jesus Christ preached in your own native tongue despite the fact that there were 50 different countries there from all over the world. And one of those areas was Rome. And if you wonder how the gospel got to Rome, even before Paul visited Rome or wrote his first letter to Rome, it was because of, effectively, Pentecost. And so this becomes important to understand. Looking, Moving on further, when you see the response to the, to the uh, Pentecost and you see the Holy Spirit affecting these people, look at verse 36. As, as Peter now preaches with incredible power because he has received the Holy Spirit, he's not the same man that he was before. He didn't, if he preached this same sermon the day before, there wouldn't be any, any results like it was after Pentecost. And so you see this man under the power and anointing of the Holy Spirit, and he says these words after he gives this incredible sermon in which he indicts the Jews for murdering Jesus, even though it was clearly in accord with the will of God that this was the Son of God. In verse 36 in Acts chapter 2, it says, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Imagine that. Fifty days after he ran for cover, after he, he refused to stand with Jesus and betrayed him, this same man now preaches right there in the streets of Jerusalem with thousands of people without fear. Why? Because he's under the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what God has given you and given me. This is why we can speak this way. Verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Cut to the heart, meaning they were convicted. You see, that's what the Holy Spirit does. They were convicted. And so as a result of that conviction, 3,000 believers come to Jesus Christ. It's amazing. And some of those believers went all over the world. And as they went all over the world, we know that some of them went back to Rome went all over the world. So immediately on that day, the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ was put out into various areas of the world, 50 different countries, areas where those Jews had come from. What an amazing statement from God as to how this gospel would be perpetuated. And so here's a lesson for us as you think about this. Think about the convicting power of the Holy Spirit and think about this, that we human beings cannot convict humanity of sin. This is important. When you go out and speak to people, you talk to people about accepting Jesus Christ, you can make all the good arguments that you can make, but you do not have the power or the authority 
to convict them of sin. Only the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ is the convicting power. And this principle convicting power is unbelief in Jesus Christ. That's the sin, unbelief in Jesus Christ. And so the average person does not believe that this is a sin, but under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit begins to prepare the ground, as we talked about the pre-conversion power of the Holy Spirit, that is the nature of the conviction. And so the conviction is of the righteousness in Jesus Christ, which we lack as human beings. And this conviction leads to an understanding of accepting the righteousness of Christ. And this is important because once we accept Jesus Christ, once we reach out to God and say, Father, help me, I'm lost, I need Jesus Christ, instantaneously God reaches across eternity, reaches, reaches from heaven to this world and effectively seals you. And when he seals you, he seals you with the Holy Spirit. Meaning what? Meaning that nobody else can ever take that seal away from you. And that word seal is important because in these times that the Bible was written, a seal, when it was put on some property, meant that it was under the ownership of another person. That's why the word seal is important. And God seals you, and nobody can take that seal from you. And so you are sealed and effectively kept for eternity in the hand of God. Because at that moment on, God sees you as righteous. Are you righteous? No, you're not. All right? No, you're not. But God sees you through the filtering lens of Jesus Christ. And that righteousness is then appropriated to you. And you are then placed within the body of Christ because you have really come to accept Jesus Christ. And so the first thing he's convicting of is evil. He's convicting us of our lack of righteousness. And then he convicts of a coming judgment upon humanity. And if you have your Bibles, go back and look at John chapter 16. Look at 16 verse 11. And there it says, uh, actually read verse 10 first. In regard to righteousness... Because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer and in regard to judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. The prince of this world stands condemned. That is the conviction of judgment upon humanity. Meaning this, that the person whom you are following, who you are leading, who evil is being perpetuated through, Satan himself is under judgment and eventually will be thrown into a lake of fire. He will not survive. And so he now stands condemned. And so this becomes important for us to understand that. Peter speaks about this issue as well. And if you take your Bible out, if you would turn to 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 8. Again, talking about the judgment coming judgment of God. Uh, and so it says there uh, as follows. Uh, and speaking first about Lot, how Lot was a righteous man who lived in a filthy area full of evil. And then it says, verse 8 in Second Peter chapter 2, For that righteous man, meaning Lot, that righteous man living among them, evil, day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials and to hold the unrighteous for the day of judgment while continuing their punishment. Understand that. Holding the unrighteousness 
to the day of judgment. There will be no escape from the day of judgment for those who have not been convicted by the Holy Spirit and accept Jesus Christ. This, this is important. This is the nature of what Jesus has taught us. And so the Holy Spirit does his work, and we talked about this last week. The Holy Spirit is a personage. It has a will. It has an emotion. It has an intelligence. Uh, it prays for us. It prays with us. It speaks to, He speaks to God. He hears from God and brings the teachings of God and the word of God to this world. But here is the key. The Holy Spirit does his work through us. Every single conversion in Acts is through someone else who is saved. Isn't this interesting that God would use humanity itself to perpetuate the gospel of Jesus Christ? He doesn't use angels. He uses man and women. And so every single converted person in Acts is saved through the work of a human being under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, just like today, just like with you. And so the power of the Holy Spirit through human channels leads us into all truth. This is another example of what Jesus is telling us about, that the Holy Spirit will lead us into all truth. Turn again to John chapter 16 for the words of Jesus here. And look at verse 12. And Jesus says there, I have much more to say to you, more now than you can bear. Now understand this. Jesus understood the limited capability of human beings to understand these great spiritual truths. And so he was giving it to them in piecemeal, knowing that even after he left, the Holy Spirit would continue this teaching. But then verse 13 says, but when he... The spirit of truth comes, and notice now the next title for, for the Holy Spirit. It's not now the comforter. Now it's not the counselor. Now it is the spirit of truth comes. He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. So what does that mean? Meaning of speaking, speaking of all truth. Uh, and understanding that this is what Jesus has just said, that his teaching, the very teaching of Jesus himself, would be completed by the Holy Spirit. Jesus wouldn't finish all his teaching. He would start. He would give evidence of what it was about. But Jesus would leave even before all those evidences of truth had been complete. So what truth, really? What truth was Jesus speaking of? And, and really, this truth, this is the truth found in the entire body of the New Testament as it points to Jesus Christ. Now understand, put yourself in the shoes of a religious Jew during this period of time. This would have been startling news to hear Jesus Christ say this. He would teach you all truth. And so as far as Jews were concerned, they had all the truth. They had everything that God wanted. They had the prophets. They had Moses, Abraham, uh, Isaac. And Jacob, they had it all. And so here it is. Now they're being told that there's more truth to come and this Holy Spirit will give you the truth. How could there be another revelation is what the, the Jews would think at this time. It seems unnecessary. Yet we look back 2,000 years and we understand now what God was doing. And so what God was doing, he was closing the book on the old covenant. 
the Old Testament, and he was opening the book of a new covenant, a new covenant led by Jesus Christ that he had prepared from the beginning of time, from the Garden of Eden, who would be the Lord and Savior of this world. He had prepared this, and now once Jesus had come to this world, preached the gospel of Christ, died on the cross for our sins, ascended into heaven, and now the Holy Spirit descends on the church, what would be given to us as all truth? What would be changed? Well, there were some incredible changes that would take place that God had pronounced. First of all, now there would be one eternal high priest. There would no longer be an appointed high priest, a human being who would be the high priest, who during the high holy days would have to go through a multitude of ritual cleansings in order to walk in to the Holy of Holies so that bells would be sewn into his robe so that if he was struck dead because he had not properly purified himself, they could drag the corpse out of the Holy of Holies. That's over. That's done with. There would be no more human intervention, no more human high priest. Now, once and for all, Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, would be our high priest. There would no longer be any more animal sacrifice. That's a major change. That's the new truth. No animal sacrifice because the body of Christ was sacrificed for all humanity from the beginning of time to the end of time. That once and perfect divine sacrifice would cover all of us. What else? Well, now each person who had come to Christ could now go directly to God. Now you would be able to pray to God through your high priest, through your mediator, Jesus Christ, who sits there at the right hand of God. Through the Holy Spirit, you would make these prayers. And if, in fact, you couldn't pray, the Holy Spirit would be praying for you. And Jesus would be answering your prayers, even as he stood there at the right hand of God and prayed for you, as we've learned already. What else? Well, the other truth is that the curtain of the Holy of Holies would be removed forever. There would no longer have to be a Holy of Holies. Why? Because Jesus is in heaven next to God the Father. God is no longer residing in an earthly abode, no longer residing in the temple. He is everywhere throughout the world as his spirit, the Holy Spirit, resides everywhere, omnipresent, and so not in any one human abode. And so the Holy of Holies, the curtain is removed, and you know that, that when Jesus was crucified on the cross, that at the moment that he expired, the curtain at the Holy of Holies at the temple in Jerusalem was rent that was 60 feet high of, of material that was six inches thick, and it was ripped from the top to the bottom, meaning that no more would only a high priest be able to go through it. Now your high priest is in heaven next to God the Father. What a change forever. Now, what other truth would there be? Well, here's another truth. Each believer would be sealed forever with the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? This is a big change, meaning God now would give the Spirit of God, effectively the Spirit of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit to each believer. He would seal them with that Spirit and he would place that Spirit inside of them, sealing them forever meaning that nobody, no power, no principality could ever take you out of the hand of God. Eternal security. And I will preach on this subject 
at another time, but make it very clear to you that once you are saved, and I'm talking about being truly saved, committing your heart and your life to Jesus Christ in submission, at that moment, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit will never be taken away from you again. This is a big change. This is a major truth because in the Old Covenant, the Holy Spirit descended only upon the leaders at various times. So Moses would have the Holy Spirit upon him uh, and the other leaders would have the Holy Spirit upon them. We know that, that David had the Holy Spirit upon him. We also know that Saul had the Holy Spirit upon him. But what happened? Saul defied God, didn't abide by the regulations of God when the Amalekites were destroyed. And instead of that, God, he decided to keep all the animals that he would make animal sacrifices, defying God, and God punished him for that, took away, really, took away the Holy Spirit from him and gave it to David. That can never happen again. And I want you to be assured about that. And so what else do we know? We know also that in understanding the truth that the Holy Spirit has given us, that there are coming judgments in this world. We understand that. Some of those judgments were outlined in the book of Daniel, but you know what? The Jewish people never studied it, never read it, never really contemplated it. And I believe that the reason for that is that the Holy Spirit did not give them discernment of that fact. They were not really even taught about it, but now we, through the Holy Spirit, understand the nature of those judgments to come. We understand that there will be a rapture. We understand that there will be an antichrist. We understand that there will be a day of tribulation. We understand all this because God has revealed it through his Holy Spirit. And it makes such a difference in our lives as God has pulled the curtain aside to let us see somewhat about what the future holds for us. And the entire book of generation of Revelation shows us what is coming down. It is through the Holy Spirit that God has revealed this. Now, there's another important aspect of the Holy Spirit and his teaching and the fact that he teaches the truth, and that is the entire body of the New Testament. This is why when we read the Bible, we can come to take the Bible as authoritative, inerrant, and the absolute word of God. Why? Because it is written, it is written by the pen of the Holy Spirit through human intervention. It is as if the Holy Spirit inspires the authors to sit and write, and yet the Holy Spirit takes the pen and writes with the pen of man. You have absolutely no doubt, no doubt about the inerrancy of the New Testament. It was written by the Holy Spirit as indicated through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is why every word, every word is holy and every word is in error. It is as if the Holy Spirit dictated the words, dictated the actual words of God. And understand, that's what's going on. The Holy Spirit doesn't speak of his own mind. He speaks of what God tells him to speak and what God wants him to speak in terms of humanity and in terms of the gifts that God has for us. So what a change this is. What an incredible change this is between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And understanding this, what the Holy Spirit has brought to the church, and now not only brought to the church at the time of right after Jesus died, but now for you. This is the key that you today, when you give your heart to Jesus Christ, it's as if you were in that upper room. 
It's as if you receive, just as they did in that upper room, the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I know what some of you are saying. Some of you are saying, John, I've been saved for years. I believe in Jesus. I've submitted my life to him. But I don't feel this, this power inside that you speak. What's going on there? Well, what's going on there, effectively, is human intervention. It's as if God puts a pilot light inside of you with the Spirit, and he allows you to determine the strength of the pilot light. Meaning what? Will you get closer to God? Will you pray? Will, will you seek out fellowship with Christians? Will you walk in his way? Will you seek to do good things? Will you seek to be righteous? And as you do all this, the pilot light of the Holy Spirit can be turned up and up and up. Uh, for some of us, we have spent our lives turning the pilot light down. Why? I mean, we really don't want the world to see us as being a zealot, as being on fire. We would prefer to be sort of like in the back pew of church. We're here, we believe, but we don't want to get too crazy. Well, I'm going to preach to you something that's important based on what you see here. Jesus wants you to turn up the pilot light. And I said last week, after you turn it up to full force, then pull the handle off and ask God to continue to enforce his will for your life and to make you draw closer to him in every possible way. And he will do that as you bow before the throne of God and ask the Holy Spirit to guide you and give you power. It is through the Holy Spirit that you will have the power to advance the kingdom of God. Because without the power of the Holy Spirit, you cannot be successful. Your ministry can't be successful. You won't be able to bring people to Christ. Nobody will be convicted because you may be a great speaker or a charismatic person. It is only through the effective anointing of the Holy Spirit that all of this happens. That is why our church has to be headed by the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ stands at the top of our church and right with Jesus Christ is the Holy Spirit. Everything that we do is to be directed by the Holy Spirit. Not the will of man, but the will of God through the Holy Spirit. And so this becomes a critical teaching for us, a critical understanding of what God has bequeathed to us, what Jesus did on the cross. And now I want, I want to close as I bring this part of our, our teaching to a close. I want to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, which again drills down on this teaching. 1 Corinthians Chapter 2, verses 13 to 15. And I've used these verses before. And this is why Paul is speaking to the Corinthian church, to the Corinthian Christians, about what his words are. He's not just speaking eloquently the way another speaker would be. He doesn't just get up and talk about success in this world. No, no. The words that he speaks are entirely different from human words. Why? Well, read what he says. Verse 13, this is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit. Words taught by the Spirit. I don't just sit here and write words that come to my mind rhetorically as to what would sound good and titillate your mind. Instead, I bow before God and ask him for what are the words that he has for this church. That's what Paul is speaking to. I'm speaking to you in words taught by the Spirit, not human words, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. Spiritual truths in spiritual words. That's what God wants us to convey to the Christian world. 
Verse 14, the man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Understand that full well. If you're not saved, you can't understand the Bible. You can't understand the doctrines that we've been talking about here. It doesn't make sense to you. It seems foolish, but if you're spiritual, if you've been saved, if you have the Holy Spirit within you, then these words really knock at your heart. And when I'm speaking these words now, every single one of you should be saying in your heart, amen, amen. Lord, he's right. Amen, Father. I accept your words. I accept what you're saying, Father. It resonates in my heart. In verse 15, the spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. What does it mean? That as we are attached to the body of Christ, we are unaffected by the judgment of man. It doesn't matter what people think about us. It doesn't matter if they don't elevate us or if they uh, really are vicious about us and gossip and slander about us. None of that matters because we stand with Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. That is what God is doing with you. And so church, this is the message I have for you today. Understand the power of the Holy Spirit. Ask God to continue to fill and refill you. Understand that you will have no success in ministry in this world unless you are fully filled with the Spirit and guided by the Spirit and asking God to anoint you in every possible way. Next week, we will finish part three of this sermon. Let's bow before the Lord. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these words. I thank you, Lord, for the teaching that you've given us. God, I so you're such a great God to us and blessed us in such a powerful way and giving us, giving us the Holy Spirit so that even as Jesus Christ left this world, you filled the void with the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the Counselor, the Spirit of Truth. Lord, we accept that gift. We want to have that pilot light turned up full blast in our hearts so that we individually can advance the gospel of Christ and we as a church can be a kingdom believer and builder in this world. Bless our people, Father, and bring them back next week to continue the study of your word as we worship together. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. We love you, church.